Random Ransomware News, Episode 9. Ars Technica writes Heron, and Black Matter are the latest groups to crash the ransomware party. July has so far ushered in at least two new ransomware groups, or maybe they're old ones undergoing a rebranding. Researchers are in the process of running down several different theories. Both groups say they are aiming for big game targets, meaning corporations, or other large businesses with the pockets to pay ransoms in the millions of dollars. The additions come as recent ransomware intrusions of oil pipeline operator Colonial Pipeline, Meatpacker JBSSA, and managed network provider Cassia have caused major disruptions and created pressure in Washington to curb the threats. Heron, like Avadin, or maybe not. The first group is calling itself Heron. A sample of the Heron malware was first submitted to VirusTotal on July 19. Three days later, South Korean security firm S2W Lab discussed the group in a post. Most of the group's site on the dark web is password protected by extremely weak credentials. Past the login page, there's a list of alleged targets to chat transcript that's not fit to be shown in full, and the group's explanation of its mission. As S2W Lab pointed out, the layout, organization, and appearance of the site are almost identical to those for Avadin, the ransomware group that went dark in June after sending a master decryption key to bleeping computer that victims could use to recover their data. The similarity on its own isn't especially meaningful. It could mean that the creator of the Heron site had a hand in administering the Avadin site, or it could be the Heron site creator doing a head fake. A connection between Heron and Avadin would be more convincing if there were overlaps or similarities in the code used by the two groups. So far, there are no such links reported. According to S2W Lab, the engine driving Heron ransomware is Thanos, a separate piece of ransomware that has been around since at least 2019. Heron was developed using a recently published Thanos builder for the C-sharp programming language. Avadin, by contrast, was written in C++. Jim Walter, a senior threat researcher at security firm Sentinel-1, said in a text message that he spotted what appear to be similarities with Avadin in a couple of samples he recently started analyzing. He said he'd know more soon. In the shadows of our evil and dark side, the second ransomware newcomer is calling itself Black Matter. It was reported on Tuesday by security from Recorded Future, and its news arm, The Record. Recorded Future, The Record, and security firm Flashpoint, which also covered the emergence of Black Matter, have questioned if the group has connections to either Dark Side or are evil. Those two ransomware groups suddenly went dark after attacks against global meat producer JBS and managed network services provider Cassia in our evil's case and colonial pipeline in the case of dark side gene rat. Add more attention than the groups wanted. The Justice Department later claimed to have recovered $2.3 million from Colonial's ransomware payment of $4.4 million. But once again, the similarities at this point are all cosmetic and include the wording of a pledge, first made by dark side, not to target hospitals or critical infrastructure, Given the heat U.S. President Joe Biden is trying to put on his Russian counterpart to crack down on ransomware groups operating in Eastern Europe, it wouldn't be surprising to see all groups follow Darkseid's lead. None of this is to say that the speculation is wrong, only that at the moment, there's little more than hunches for support. Threat Post writes Black Matter and Heron, evil ransomware newborns are rebirths. They're either new or old are evil and Darkseid wine in new bottles. Both have a taste for deep-pocketed targets and Darkside-esque virtue signaling. So much for darkened servers at the headquarters of Darkside, or our evil ransomware groups. Turns out, we've got either their rebranded versions, 
were two new ransomware gangs to contend with. The first new group to appear this month was Heron, and the second is named Black Matter. As Ars Technica's Dan Gooden points out, there may be more still out there. They're both claiming to be focused on targets with deep pockets that can pay ransoms in the millions of dollars. They're also virtue signaling a law dark side, with similar language about sparing hospitals, critical infrastructure, nonprofits, etc. Black Matter also promised free decryption if its affiliates screw up and kill kittens or freeze files at, say, pipeline companies, as happened when Colonial Pipeline was attacked by Darkseid in May. Heron and its cut-and-paste ransom note. The first sample of the Heron malware was submitted to VirusTotal on July 19. Three days later, the South Korean security firm S2W Lab reported on the group in a post that laid out similarities between Heron and Avadin. Avadin is yet another prolific ransomware-as-a-service RAH provider that evaporated in June rather than face the legal heat that followed Colonial Pipeline and other big ransomware attacks. At the time, Avadin released its decryption keys to bleeping computer 2,934 in total, with each key belonging to an individual victim. According to law enforcement, the average extortion fee Avadin demanded was about $40,000, meaning the ransomware operators and their affiliates quit and walked away from millions. Or did they? In its July 22nd post, S2W Lab said that when infected with Heron ransomware, the extension of the encrypted file is changed to the victim's name Heron is also similar to Avadin ransomware in that its operators are using a ransom note and operating their own leak site. In its post, S2W provided side-by-side -side images of ransom notes from the two gangs. As you can see below, the two ransom notes read like a cut-and-paste job. S2W Lab noted that the main difference is TH. At Heron suggests a specific ID and password for victims to log into the negotiation site. There are loads of other similarities between Heron and Avadin, including yet more cut-and-paste verbiage on the two negotiation sites, nearly identical appearances of the negotiation sites, besides the ransomware name of Avadin being swapped for Heron, identical chunks of open-source JavaScript code used for chat that was previously published on a Russian developer forum. The two leak sites share the same structure. If Heron is Avadin reborn, the new bottles for the old wine include a strategy to induce negotiations by setting a time for the next data update. Another difference, no triple threat play to be seen from Heron, at least not yet. In triple threat attacks, not only is data encrypted locally and exfiltrated before the ransom demand is made, but recalcitrant victims are also subjected to threats of distributed denial-of-service DDoS attack until they yield. Also, Heron has shrunk the negotiation time to six days, whereas Avadin allotted 10 days for negotiation. Another difference is in the engines running the two ransomwares. S2W Lab said that Heron is running on the Thanos ransomware, a ransomware affiliate program similar to a ransomware-as-a-service, RAH. That's been sold since 2019, whereas Avadin was written in C++. None of the similarities are solid proof of Avadin having risen from the ashes like a ransomware phoenix. They could simply point to one or more threat actors from Avadin working on a reboot or they could point to nothing at all. It is difficult to conclude that Heron is a re-emergence of Avadin based on our analysis, according to S2W's write-up, which pointed out that Avadin developed and used their own C++-based ransomware, whereas the publicly available Thanos ransomware that Heron is using is baked on C-sharp. Sentinel-1's Jim Walter told ours that he's seen what look like similarities between Avadin and Heron samples, but he'll know more soon. As of July 22nd, 
Heron's leak site had only disclosed one victim. Black Matter. The second ransomware newbie calls itself Black Matter. News about the new network was reported on Tuesday by security firm Recorded Future, which labeled it a successor to Darkseid and Our Evil. And by its news arm, The Record, risk intelligence firm Flashpoint also spotted the newcomer, noting that Black Matter registered an account on the Russian-language underground forums XSS and Exploit on July 19th and deposited four bitcoins approximately $150. 000 USD as of Wednesday afternoon into its exploit escrow account. Both of those forums banned ransomware discussion in May, following Darkseid's attack on Colonial Pipeline, in the wake of that catastrophic shutdown, which sparked gas hoarding along the East Coast, and an emergency order from the federal government, our evil instituted pre-moderation for its partner network, saying that it would ban any attempt to add a CK any government, public educational or healthcare organizations. Referring to Dark Side's experience, Arivel's backers said that the group was forced to introduce these significant new restrictions, promising that affiliates that violated the new rules would be kicked out, and that it would give out decryption tools for free. Flashpoint noted that the large deposit on the exploit forum shows that black matter is serious. On July 21st, the threat actor said that the network is looking to buy access to affected networks in the US, Canada, Australia, and the UK presumably for ransomware operations. It's offering up to $100,000 for network access, as well as a cut of the ransom take. Putting up big money for big fish. Black Matter is putting up big money because it's after big fish. The group said that it was looking for deep-pocketed organizations with revenues of more than $100 million, the size of organizations that could be expected to pay big ransoms. The threat actor is also requiring that targets have 515 000 hosts in their networks. It's also up for all industries, except for healthcare and governments. We are ethical blood suckers. That's where the virtual signaling comes in. The record reports that Black Matter's leak site is currently empty, which means that Black Matter only launched this week and hasn't yet carried out any network penetrations. When it does go after victims, the list won't include a roster of target types that is currently supposedly tabooed to target. A section of Black Matter's leak site lists the type of targets that are off-limits, including hospitals, critical infrastructure facilities, nuclear power plants, power plants, water treatment facilities, oil and gas industry pipelines, oil refineries, defense industry, nonprofit companies, government sector. Sound familiar? That's because it's a dead ringer for a list formerly provided on the leak site of the dark side gang before it supposedly went belly up following the colonial attack. Promises not to attack these types of organizations aren't always adhered to by these gang's affiliates, but Black Matter has promised that if victims from those industries are attacked, the operators will decrypt their data for free. Buying legitimacy? Mike Fowler, vice president of intelligence services at GroupSense, a firm that offers threat intelligence and ransom negotiation, has been keeping an eye on Black Matter. He told ThreatPost on Wednesday that lately, there's been an evolution in tactics, techniques, and processes, TTP, used by emerging RAH cartels such as Hive, Grief, and most recently Black Matter, an evolution reminiscent of the 2020 shift to double extortion pioneered by Mays. Group Sense has witnessed an expected jockeying for position and brand awareness within the RAH cartels, Fowler said in an email. This was clearly evidenced by Black Matter's account registration on the top two cybercrime forums, their deposit of 4-bit, Coins into their escrow account on the largest Russian cybercrime forum, Exploit, is clearly an attempt to purchase legitimacy. 
careful victim targeting. Digital Shadow's Sean Nickel told ThreatPost on Wednesday that the careful selection of big companies reflects the increasing number of threat actors that are doing their due diligence when it comes to selecting victims. We've seen time and again when they have some knowledge around key personalities within an organization revenue size, and even customers, so the idea of big game hunting seems to be in line with observed ransomware trends, Nichols said via email. He called the virtue signaling and promised to do right by the exempted industries an interesting twist. While our evil had publicly stated that everything was fair game previously, maybe this cooling off period from previous attention has forced a change of heart, if it is indeed them coming back, Nickel added. Interesting is one way to frame it. Another way to look at it is as squeaking from blood-sucking parasites, as a commenter on ours coverage suggested. Neither was group senses Fowler impressed by Black Matter's pinky promise not to victimize certain business segments. He said it rings particularly hollow given their rise to prominence, as our evil standing is the number two our AH fades into obscurity. Still, to put it all into perspective, while Black Matter is the flavor of the day, Fowler says that other AH services, such as Conti Grief, Hive, and Lockbit, are just as big a threat. Ransomware phoenixes or new wrap bags? Time will tell. Dirk Schrader, Global Vice President of Security Research at NewNet Technologies, NNT, told ThreatPost on Wednesday that anybody who didn't see our evil or dark side re-emerging might not have their head screwed on right. There's a good chance that our evil decided proactively to take down everything and to re-emerge, just to make tracking and tracing even more difficult, he added in an email. Meanwhile, whatever saber-rattling the Biden administration has been doing at Russia or China about kinetic responses and hackbacks won't change the situation, Schrader predicted. As it is, the threat actors are refining their approaches to look at targets that have a higher motivation to pay ransom, cases in point being Cassia and SolarWinds. Ransomware groups will continue to look for attack vectors that are likely to have a higher motivation for payment, and that is the next evolution in this business, Schrader said via email. We already see the early effects. Cassia, SolarWinds tools that promise access to high-value assets, where an organization's revenue stream and reputation depends on. Schrader thinks that VMware's recently added capability of encrypting ICSI servers is a harbinger of what will come pointing to CIS's recent alert about the top routinely exploited vulnerabilities, which included a warning about CVE-2021-21985, the critical remote co. de-execution RC vulnerability in VMware Center Server and VMware Cloud Foundation. In essence, not paying a ransom is the only angle that will, over time, eradicate ransomware, Schrader said, and to be positioned for that, companies will have to minimize and protect their attack surface, harden their systems and infrastructure, manage existing accounts properly, and delete old ones, patch vulnerabilities according to risks, and be able to operate in a cyber-resilient manner when under attack. Where's the MBA coursework about ransomware? Group Census Fowler said that the focus has to be on prevention and mitigation before ransomware is deployed. But what about after? Ransomware attacks are a cyber issue up to the point that the ransomware is executed he pointed out. Then it becomes a business issue, and this presents business considerations, and continuity hurdles not part of the curriculum on any MBA course. I'm familiar with currently. JD Super writes taking the ransom out of ransomware? Debate on ransomware payments picks up. The price tags of several high-profile ransomware attacks have made headlines over the past couple of months. Colonial Pipeline, which supplies roughly 45% of the fuel for the East Coast, 
paid a $4.4 million ransom to hackers, though the FBI reportedly recovered some $2.3 million of it back. JBS USA, a major meat processing company, paid $11 million. With hackers making millions of dollars through single attacks, a debate has arisen about what to do, if anything, about ransomware payments. Some have proposed banning them outright, taking issue with the incentive structure such payments appear to create, while others warn about the negative and unintended consequences an outright ban could have, especially for the victims of an attack. In the first camp, a few high-profile government officials have recently signaled their opposition to ransomware payments on the ground that they could spur more attacks. For instance, FBI Director Christopher Wray testified before Congress a few weeks ago how about the FBI's policy that companies should not pay the ransom for a number of reasons, including that such payments may encourage more of this kind of activity, and that victims can pay the ransom and not get their system back. And that's not unknown to happen. He ultimately underscored, however, that whether they pay the ransom or not, victims of ransomware attacks should be sure to coordinate with law enforcement right out of the gate. Going a step further, in a recent interview on NBC's Meet the Press, U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm stated that she would support legislation banning ransomware payments, while noting that she did not know whether Congress or the President is at that point. She shared her view that we need to send this strong message that paying a ransom only exacerbates and accelerates the problem. You are encouraging the bad actors. But contrary to this perspective, many experts and members of the business community have questioned the wisdom behind an outright ban, noting that it could paralyze organizations in responding to such attacks. For example, an article recently published in Forbes catalogs responses to the idea from a series of cybersecurity experts, with many warning of the unintended consequences such a ban could have. The experts warn, for example, that if companies were unable to pay the ransom, they may lose their data for good and be left with a gutted computer system or a flood of lawsuits instead. This could be especially devastating for organizations that hold people's lives in their hands or provide critical infrastructure, such as hospitals, police departments, or energy companies. Indeed, when explaining his decision to pay hackers a ransom, the CEO of Colonial Pipeline, Joseph Blunt, explained that he felt he had no choice but to pay given the shutdown's effect on the country. Experts have also warned that such a ban could incentivize hackers to threaten victims even more aggressively forcing them to consider potentially breaking U.S. law and surreptitiously making the payments anyway. Notably, the Ransomware Task Force, a group assembled in December from members of the private and public sectors, has stopped short of recommending a ban on ransomware payments. In a comprehensive report released in late April, the task force acknowledged the case for a ban, but also underscored that ransomware attacks are easy to launch. So hackers would likely continue to mount attacks and test the resolve of both victim organizations and the regulatory authorities. The task force opined that hackers would focus on areas where governments have not implemented the same policy or are unable to provide a safety net for victims and to apply additional pressure would take aim at organizations considered essential to society, including healthcare providers, local governments, and other custodians of critical infrastructure, rather than recommending a ban then, the Ransomware Task Force recommended that governments establish greater resources to support ransomware responses, while mandating that organizations both consider other alternatives before making payments and report any payments they actually make. Given the increasing frequency of ransomware attacks, we are likely to hear more on this debate over the coming months. Indeed, Senator Mark Warner, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, said recently that whether Congress should pass a ban on ransomware payments is a debate worth having. Aside from such preliminary discussion, however, 
There has been no major movement from the federal government on the issue. Last year, we wrote that the U.S. Department of the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, released an advisory warning parties who pay or facilitate ransomware payments that they may face substantial legal consec. Boonses if a payment is made to a party subject to U.S. sanctions. As many hacker groups are not parties subject to U.S. sanctions, however, this is far from an outright ban. More recently, the Biden administration formed a multi-agency task force led by the Department of Justice that will, among other things, work to freeze ransomware payments made through cryptocurrency platforms, though this too is far from a ban. There has also been some movement on the state level. Earlier this year, New York legislators introduced two bills that would prohibit municipalities from making ransomware payments, and more recently, the North Carolina House passed a similar bill that would prohibit state and local agencies from making ransomware payments. These legislative efforts are, of course, focused on what governmental entities can and cannot do, and they have no bearing on the action private ransomware victims may take. Though it is unclear whether Congress will move to pass legislation to prohibit ransomware payments at this juncture, any ban, to the extent one is implemented, will likely be phased in over time. Co-chair of the Ransomware Task Force Chris Painter has opined as much, noting in a recent interview that, in line with the task force's report, he would expect legislation to focus first on stealing the resiliency of the private sector to such attacks and establishing resources like victim recovery funds. Consistent with the government's efforts to help improve the private sector's preparedness for end defenses against ransomware attacks, the United States Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, recently launched its new Stop Ransom, .gov website, which it describes as a whole-of, government approach that gives one central location for ransomware resources and alerts, among other features available from CISA, is a new ransomware readiness self-assessment tool called Cybersecurity Evaluation Tool, CSET Registered Sign, which is designed to help organizations better assess how well they are equipped to defend against and recover from a ransomware incident. It remains to be seen how effective these new tools and resources are preparing the private sector for future ransomware attacks, and whether this is part of a process to help mitigate the downsides of a ban or restriction on the payment of ransomware ransoms. We will continue to monitor these developments. MSSP alert writes, can critical infrastructure companies prevent ransomware attacks? Can critical infrastructure pipeline owners and operators flat out prevent another ransomware attack similar to the one that knocked Colonial Pipeline on its back for five days? The answer, no. But the Department of Homeland Securities, DHS Transportation Security Administration, TSA is getting there, issuing a security directive that requires owners and operators of critical infrastructure pipelines to implement specific mitigations to protect against ransomware attacks. The agency has also ordered critical pipeline owners and operators to develop and implement a cybersecurity contingency and recovery plan, conduct a cybersecurity architecture design review, the order is particularly important to managed security service providers, MSSPs engaging customers in the energy sector, and other critical infrastructure segments. The lives and livelihoods of the American people depend on our collective ability to protect our nation's critical infrastructure from evolving threats, said DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas of the new TSA Directive. Through this security directive, DHS can better ensure the pipeline sector takes the steps necessary to safeguard their operations from rising cyber threats and better protect our national and economic security, he said. TSA doubles down on U.S. pipeline infrastructure security. It's the second security-related command that TSA has directed at the pipeline sector in the past two months.
Last May, in the immediate wake of the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack, TSA issued its first ever mandatory security order aimed at shoring up the nation's oil and gas pipelines to repel cyber offensives. The instruction requires critical pipeline owners and operators to report confirmed and potential cybersecurity incidents to DHS Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency CISA. In addition, owners and operators must designate a 247-365 cybersecurity coordinator. Critical pipeline owners and operators will be required to review their current practices and identify any gaps and related remediation measures to address cyber-related risks. Results must be reported to TSA and CISA within 30 days. In developing the pipeline industry security requirements, TSA said it was advised by CISA on cybersecurity threats to the sector as well as technical countermeasures. Taken together, the two directives marked SAW's intention to not just help, but insist that pipeline owners and operators shore up their operations against hackers. Pending legislation, CyberTAC disclosure requirements. Meanwhile, Virginia Senator Mark Warner D. is advocating for new legislation that would require private companies, including MSSPs, and their customers to report cyber attacks to the federal government. It would affect the critical infrastructure pipeline industry. Warner, who chairs the Senate Intelligence Committee and serves as vice chair of the Senate Democratic Caucus, said that the nation has regarded cybersecurity as an afterthought for too long. We have no actual system in place to make, whether it's Colonial Pipeline or Solar Winds or any other company, actually mandatorily report that information to the government in real time so that we can have a full-fledged response. The former Virginia governor said, Warner adds another powerful voice to U.S. intelligence leaders, who last month pressed congressional lawmakers to require private industry to report security breaches and oh, third threat information to the federal government. Legislators pushing for such laws have received a boost from newly installed CISA Director Jen Easterly and Chris Inglis, the inaugural White House National Cyber Director. At her recent nomination hearing, Easterly said that voluntary standards are not getting the job done, and there probably is some sort of role for making some of these standards mandatory to include notification the new CISA director said it's important that when there's a significant cyber incident that critical infrastructure companies have to notify the federal government, in particular CISA, we have to be able to warn other potential victims, she said. At the same forum, Inglis said that the nation must have confidence that our critical services, our critical functions, will be delivered considering that voluntary reporting and market forces are not propelling companies to report cyber incidents. Some imposition of standards or regulation on top of that. We begin to take steps in that direction, he said. MSSP contracts and cyber incident disclosures. Any legislation involving cyber incident disclosures could influence how MSSPs, MSPs, and MDR manage detection and response, service providers work and communicate with their customers and the government. JD Super Rights and YDFS issues ransomware guidance aimed at combating rising cyber threats. The exponential rise in ransomware attacks in the past year has everyone on high alert, not least of which are regulators. Following on the heels of a June 2, 2021 White House memo addressing ransomware prevention, on June 30, 2021, the New York Department of Financial Services and YDFS issued new ransomware guidance of its own in response to the increased frequency, scope, and sophistication of the attacks. The guidance explains how proper cybersecurity hygiene is required by New York cybersecurity requirements for financial services companies 23NYCR, R Part 500, can reduce the risk of ransomware incidents. 
and establishes new reporting requirements around ransomware events. Background on rising ransomware attacks. The rising tide of ransomware has attracted attention at all levels of government. Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation Christopher Ray likened the danger of this escalating threat to post 9-11 global terrorism. Following the recent colonial pipeline attack, President Biden prioritized mitigating ransomware attacks and issued an executive order focused on improving the nation's cybersecurity. The administration urges companies to take action, and the NYDFS is reinforcing this commitment with its new guidance. The guidance notes that ransomware attacks increased by 300% in 2020, and insurance premiums subsequently increased by 73%. NYDFS regulated entities have reported at least 74 ransomware attacks since January 2020. Follow-up investigations show these ransomware incidents share a similar pattern. Hackers frequently infilt. Raid an entity's network by phishing and exploiting vulnerabilities to gain escalated privileges. Hackers then use those privileges to deploy ransomware, avoid security controls, steal data, and disable backups. As the guidance notes, the payments to hackers contribute to a vicious cycle by funding more frequent and sophisticated ransomware attacks. Guidance on reporting requirements. The new NYDFS guidance discusses reporting requirements and preventative measures aimed at mitigating the risk of ransomware attacks. Most notably, the guidance establishes a de facto mandatory reporting requirement for ransomware events pursuant to 23 NYC or R Section 500.17. Under that section, covered entities are required to report cybersecurity events to the superintendent no later than 72 hours after the covered entity determines that either one, the cybersecurity event will require notice to be provided to any government body, self-regulatory agency, or any other supervisory body or two. The cybersecurity event has a reasonable likelihood of materially harming any material part of the normal operations. Of the covered entity with this guidance, the NYDFS makes clear that the inherent risks to the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of an organization's data posed by ransomware mean covered entities should assume that any successful deployment of ransomware on their internal network should be reported. A presumption that any ransomware event requires Notification represents a marked departure from the risk-based language of Section 500.17 and covered entities should take note. The guidance also outlines practical steps that covered entities should take to help prevent ransomware attacks, while acknowledging that smaller entities may have more difficulty implementing the controls. The NYDFS states that given the substantial risk that now exists, every NYDFS Regulated companies should seek to implement the controls outlined in this guidance to the extent possible with this in mind. Covered entities should view these guidelines as mandatory. See guidance for complete recommendations. Vulnerability patch management. Employ a standardized and documented protocol to identify, track, and address vulnerabilities, including periodic penetration testing. Privileged access management. Limit access to and safeguard privileged accounts with strong credentials and regular audits. Remote desktop management. Disable remote desktop protocol access wherever possible. Password management. Use strong, unique passwords. In particular, passwords for privileged user accounts should be at least 16 characters. Monitoring and response. Use endpoint detection and response systems to detect and contain intruders. Email filtering. Block spam and malicious attachments. Anti-phishing training. Train employees how to spot, avoid, and report phishing attempts. Multi-factor authentication MFA. Deploy MFA for remote access to a company's network and all exter. Nally exposed applications. Tested and segregated backups. 
maintain comprehensive and segregated backups and conduct recovery tests using those backups. Incident response plan. Implement an incident response plan and test it with senior leadership. Takeaway? Ransomware attacks are disruptive and costly, while no one can prevent ransomware altogether. The NYDFS guidance reinforces best practices and sets clear expectations for what the NYDFS expects to see in the unfortunate event of a ransomware attack. Silicon Valley and Technology Rights Biden administration wants to require businesses to disclose ransomware attacks. Washington. The Biden administration is throwing its support behind congressional legislation that would require companies to report major data breaches by hackers, including the ransomware attacks that are increasingly targeting U.S. critical infrastructure. The administration strongly supports congressional action to require victim companies to report significant breaches, including ransomware attacks, Richard Downing, a deputy assistant attorney general at the U.S. Department of Justice, told members of the Senate Judiciary Committee on Tuesday. In particular, such legislation should require covered entities to notify the federal government about ransomware attacks, cyber incidents that affect critical infrastructure entities, and other breaches that implicate heightened risks to the government, the public or third parties, Downing said. The announcement came as members of Congress are advancing more than a dozen bills in response to a recent escalation in ransomware attacks, while the administration has taken a whole of government approach to respond to what it sees as a public safety economic and national security threat. Vazizing that information sharing is critical between companies and the government, Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin said, there is general bipartisan support for congressional action in response to the cybersecurity threat. And I hope it leads, I think it will, to specific legislation to deal with this, said Durbin, a Democrat. Last week, a bipartisan group of senators introduced the Cyber Incident Notification Act of 2021, a bill that would require federal agencies and contractors as well as critical infrastructure operators to notify the government within 24 hours of a cyber breach that poses a threat to national security to encourage information sharing. The bill would grant limited immunity to companies that report a breach. We shouldn't be relying on voluntary reporting to protect our critical infrastructure, Democratic Senator Mark Warner chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and one of the bill's co-sponsors, said in a statement last week, we need a routine federal standard so that when vital sectors of our economy are affected by a breach, the full resources of the federal government can be mobilized to respond to and stave off its impact. The bill's Republican co-sponsors include Senators Marco Rubio, vice chair of the Intelligence Committee, and Susan Collins, a senior member. Once seen as a financial crime, Ransomware attacks have grown in both number and severity over the past year and a half, testifying before Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said the attacks have surged by 300% over the past year. This year alone, Mayorkas said, ransomware attacks have resulted in economic losses of $300 million. In May, a ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline the operator of the largest fuel pipeline in the country disrupted its operations for several days, setting off fuel shortages and panic buying. In June, meat processor Javius, USA said it paid $11 million to cybercriminals following a ransomware attack that disrupted its operations. Legislative proposals, such as the Warner Bill seek to address what law enforcement officials have long identified as a major impediment to their ability to respond to a ransomware attack. A reluctance by businesses to notify law enforcement about cyber breaches? 
Companies are not currently required to disclose when they have been attacked by ransomware criminals. Fearing loss of operations or reputational harm, most victims choose not to report. The FBI estimates that about 25% to 30% of such incidents get reported, according to Brian Vondren, Assistant Director of the FBI Cyber Division. The FBI has long encouraged victims of ransomware attacks to notify law enforcement, saying such information sharing can help it better understand and respond to the threat, now at once notifications made mandatory. Because far too many ransomware incidents go unreported, and because silence benefits ransomware actors the most we wholeheartedly believe a federal standard is needed to mandate the reporting of certain cyber incidents, including most ransomware incidents Fondren testified. The scope and severity of this threat has reached the point where we can no longer rely on voluntary reports alone to learn about incidents Fondren said. In addition to ransomware attacks above a to-be-determined threshold, Downing said, the Justice Department wants mandatory notifications for two other types of breaches, supply chain attacks that could give outsiders access to critical U.S. infrastructure and government systems, and attacks involving high-value trade secrets related to critical infrastructure. Of particular significance, entities should be required to report any ransom demand the date, time, and amount of ransom payments, and addresses where payments were requested to be sent, Downing said. While supporting mandatory breach notifications, Downing and other officials opposed calls to make ransom payments illegal. Jeremy Sheridan, an assistant director for the U.S. Secret Service, told lawmakers that banning ransomware payments would further pus. H. Any reporting to law enforcement into obscurity. Cision PR Newswire writes growth in ransomware drives growth for ProLion. ProLion, a best-in-class proactive ransomware and data protection solution for ONTAP storage, has recorded another double-digit increase in sales in its FY 2021, taking the total increase in global sales for the past three years to over 270%. The uplift has been driven by demand for its core solution, CryptoSpike, which has soared as a result in the rise of ransomware and ransomware as a service. The vendor is now setting its sights higher, aiming for planned sales growth target of over 300% in its next financial year, 2022, and to help drive that the business has increased its global sales force by 200% in the past year alone. It has also announced plans to increase its investment substantially in its ProLion Labs facility, which is at the forefront of the vendor's product development and testing plans, ensuring it stays ahead of the ransomware criminals. Robert Groff, founder and general manager, ProLion stated, we are extremely pleased with our performance. It's really a strong validation of our vision and product capabilities. Customers are increasingly looking to solutions, such as ours which protect the business in the long term. Emerging innovative vendors like us are giving established enterprises globally the protection they need in the face of the biggest onslaught of ransomware the world has seen. ProLion's core solution, CryptoSpike, is a best-in-class security and access transparency solution for the data center which eliminates system downtime and data loss risks within ONTAP environments. Today it provides data insights for 450-plus customers across retail finance, telco healthcare and manufacturing. The vendor is also seeing demand for its cluster lion for the SAP market, and its always-on availability solution rises and user organizations look for answers to the ever-rising security challenge. The company announced its global expansion plans in May this year. And since then it has added a number of new hires not only across the main European markets of the UK, France, Benelux, and Nordics, but additional headcount in the US. 
Groff continued, the investment we have made year-to-date in the U.S. represents the biggest we have made outside of our traditional dock market. We now have full geographical cover across the U.S. with sales managers now in place across the country. Further, we have made additional investments in growing our channel footprint, with new managers now in place specifically to develop those relationships. As we enter our new financial year, we have our sights on further international expansion powered by the growth in sales and revenue. It is our intention to add to our global team in the growing Asia-Pac region, with new headcount allocated for both South Korea and Japan. Outside of its agentless ransomware protection solutions, ProLion also has a range of always-on data availability and data analysis products, namely ClusterLion and Data Analyzer. As we continue to see the frequency of cyber breaches rise, and the continued impact being felt by organizations both large and small there is a clear need for proactive ransomware protection. It is our stated objective to be the vendor that delivers that," concluded Groff. Financial Times writes Biden warned cyber attacks could lead to a real shooting war. Joe Biden has warned that cyber attacks could escalate into a full-blown war as tensions with Russia and China mounted over a series of hacking incidents targeting U.S. government agencies, companies and infrastructure, Biden said on Tuesday that cyber threats including ransomware attacks increasingly are able to cause damage and disruption in the real world. If we end up in a war, a real shooting war with a major power, it's going to be as a consequence of a cyber breach, the president said in a speech at the Office for the Director of National Intelligence, which oversees 18 U.S. intelligence agencies. A number of recent hacks revealed the extent of U.S. cyber vulnerability, ranging from extensive espionage, breaches that have struck at the heart of government to ransomware attacks that have brought operations at an important oil pipeline and meatpacking plants to a halt. The Biden administration has accused the governments of Russia and China, or hackers based inside the two countries, of some of the attacks. U.S. officials have warned that the administration would respond with a mix of tools seen and unseen actions, but cyber breaches have continued. Although he did not say who such a war might be fought against, Biden immediately name-checked Russia's President Vladimir Putin, alleging that Russia was spreading misinformation ahead of the 2022 U.S. midterm elections. It's a pure violation of our sovereignty, he said. Mr. Putin has a real problem. He is sitting on top of an economy that has nuclear weapons and oil wells and nothing else. Nothing else, Biden said. He knows he's in real trouble, which makes him even more dangerous. At a June summit in Geneva, Biden personally warned Putin that the U.S. would respond with cyber. The Russian state or Russian-based hackers targeted critical U.S. infrastructure. The prohibited sectors spanned energy, healthcare IT and commercial facilities, all of which have already allegedly been targeted by Russian hackers since the 2020 U.S. elections. Others included transport, financial services, and chemicals. Biden also said Chinese President Xi Jinping was deadly earnest about China becoming the most powerful military force in the world by the 2040s, as well as the largest and most prominent economy. It's real this boy's got a plan, Biden said adding, we better figure out how we're going to keep pace without exacerbating the situation. Biden stressed that cyber attacks were just one aspect of TH. The growing threats facing the U.S., saying that there would be more developments in the next 10 years than in the past 50, placing a tremendous burden on the intelligence community. It's really going to get tougher, he said.